I mean, you've been literally no, oh at gosh. Madison Square Garden. <laughs> oh yeah, that's no. right. I, and then I dropped like I, I like. Yeah, you dropped a check. Dropped the check. <laughs> yeah, they were presenting me with the check, and it was a huge honor. Yeah, and, that um, was really dope. But dropped it, and then I was like. Oh, my hands are really, they wanted me to wave the whole time. And I have like very large hands for, <laughs> <laughs> for my, for, it's just like, it's when you're from a distance, when I'm waving, it's just like, you just see it's like all hands. So <laughs> welcome to the worst Asian podcast where a couple Asian American millennials give you our shitty opinions on all things Asian. My name is Linji. I am here with my co-host, Ben. Yes, my name is Ben. How are you? <laughs> I am okay. How are you? Oh, sorry. I give you that Google assistant message reply. I'm good, man. I'm good. You know I, I had a long morning. Let's just put it that way. Yes, you were uh, one hour late. Oh, this, this, I think this is a record. No, you've been over an hour late. I was, I was worse than this. You, you've been worse than this. For Holy sure. shit! Yeah, so, um, that's not a gold star for you to say that you've done even worse. No, I know, I know. <laughs> I just, I just didn't know. I, I was like, yo, this is, this has to be a record and shit. But, um, but the thing is, I always pride myself or I give myself enough leeway so that if I tell you that we need to be something, be somewhere at eleven o'clock to do something, I tell you to be there at ten. Exactly. You're kind of like the Bruce. And Wayne. I don't tell you. Exactly. You're like Batman. You're always a step ahead. With you being late, with all these scheduling conflicts we had, I'll get into this with our guests later. It seems like this interview might have never happened because we had to cancel the interview once. She had some technical issues on her end one day at the cancel. So this is uh, attempt number three, and you tried to uh, try to wreck it by not showing up. What? Oh no. <sighs> I actually almost did. Yeah, you're right. Before the universe cancels this interview somehow, before we even get started, let's get right into it. Good idea. Coming on the podcast today, we have my new best friend forever, BFF. Wow. <laughs> she is to Chinatown what Spider-Man Peter Parker is to Queens. We have the CEO like and founder of Welcome to Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Let's give it up for Victoria Lee. Woo! Hi. Welcome. Thanks for coming Thanks. on, Victoria. Excited to be here. <laughs> we were talking about this off air. This almost never happened because we had scheduling conflicts on your end, scheduling uh, conflicts on my end. Yeah. And my co-host decided to come over half an hour late today. I had... Yeah, I had a little emergency with the bathroom and the water issue and all that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Struggle of living in a high-rise apartment. Yes, it was. I got a good workout for it. <laughs> so, can't complain. <laughs> okay, Victoria. Um, you want to give our listeners a quick introduction on who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, Victoria Lee, also go by Vic. Um, I am the co-founder and CEO of Welcome to Chinatown, which is a nonprofit focused on community preservation of Manhattan's Chinatown by advocating for API um, small businesses and entrepreneurs. I guess given all the work that you do with Welcome to Chinatown, you must have had some at least deep, strong ties to Chinatown yourself growing up. Yeah, my so I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I grew up by Coney Island. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and like I, my parents are still there, but we spent every single weekend in Chinatown. Yeah. So my like grandmother, she had an apartment. Um, we would drive out from Brooklyn and it was like this whole Sunday ritual where come out, drop by um, my Apollo's house and then like say hi, buy groceries, 
we would rent the TVB, the oh. they were like the you know, the VHS tapes, yeah. and then it was DVDs. Um, so we would rent them there, and then I would help her cook dinner, um, and then we would we would drive back out. So yeah, Chinatown's become a really special place to me because mm. when I think about my identity as a Chinese American woman, it is associated like like almost all the memories there are the ones that I've had in Chinatown. Sundays for like most Asian families in general, it's like a big thing, right? The only day my parents had off. We did all the grocery shopping. We did all the food prep for like the rest of the week as yeah. much as we could. And we spent a good amount of time just like hanging out with each other. Yeah. When I bring up that story, with uh, particularly with a lot of a lot of fellow millennials, that that is the root too of, of their upbringing. Yeah. It's pretty much like it's tradition. When you're a first generation immigrant, most of the week, you're basically by yourself. And maybe Sundays or that one reserve day of the week is the time when you get to actually connect with the rest of your family and yeah. you're not so busy. It's always no- nice knowing you have like a home away from home. Yeah. That brings us to where we are right now. Yeah. How did all that ultimately tie into what you did with Welcome to Chinatown? How did all that begin? Well, so I've been now, now I live in Chinatown. My parents are still in Brooklyn, but I've been living in Chinatown, Lower East Side for about like 10, 11 years now. And it is, it's home. And during, during COVID, it was seeing like, where I'm feeling that there was like something off there, just the foot traffic wasn't there, particularly yeah. around Lunar New Year. My co-founder, Jen, uh, she at the time also lived in Chinatown. Um, we would talk with small business owners. We'd talk with wait staff and they're like, yeah, it's just really quiet. In particular, I remember going to celebrate my friend's birthday. This was first or second weekend in March. We went to Whiskey Tavern, which is always busy oh, yeah. on like great yeah. on yeah, like packed on uh, Friday, Saturday night, and it just it wasn't. And then after we went to Wohop, and we were the only large group table there. Oh, so, that's crazy because Wohop is always packed, especially yeah. like on the weekendish night. Yeah, and I was like, I probably like eleven, twelve, and yeah. um, just not was like shocked at how empty all of that was, and. Um, so then that's when we, we knew something, something was off and we started, um, talking to the business owners to ask how they were going to handle, um, pause and, um, what their situation was. And it was a lot of uncertainty. And that to me, like really, really, really broke my heart because I also in talking, we mentioned about like the formative years, a lot of these like formative years and experiences are also for me rooted in um, the small businesses. Yeah, so, of course. um, yeah, I think about like my dad, when he would drive out every day, he would always stop at like great New York noodle town yeah. and, you know, tell me like, this is where you're going to get like the best duck noodles and bring that back to Brooklyn and we'd <laughs> have it over like weeknights too. So just the deciding that there could be loss associated with what was happening, um, that just pushed me and Jen to do something. So we exchanged Instagram messages. We were thinking about how we could get small business owners onto gift card platforms. Mm. So right when pause happens, there was everyone on social media is like, go support your favorite business, buy a gift card. And that's hard to do in, in Chinatown because it's uh, still a lot of cash only businesses. Yes, yeah, it is. So we decided we're like, we're going to go talk to some small businesses, see if we could get them onto the gift card platform. We talked to a handful and they're like, no, like, who are you? What are <laughs> really? you doing? Yeah. They're like, why would you do this? We don't trust you. Um, my Cantonese is not good. And um, <laughs> Jen's is even worse. So <laughs> we, we just had to, we pivoted and we decided to start a GoFundMe raise money, use that to purchase meals for essential workers. And that was like our, our very first um, very first initiative. There is a trust factor to all of that too, right? Because I think historically, or, or at least culturally speaking, it's hard to 
for most Asians and most Chinese small business owners to just see a random stranger come to your business at a time when they're already having their own uh, difficulties and struggles and trying to be convinced of the fact that this person here is actually trying to do me some good. Yeah. How big was it of a struggle? Um, it it definitely was a, a huge barrier and it's still a barrier that we face right now. There's language, there's tech, there's socioeconomical issues. And then, yeah, the, the cultural influence is, is pretty pretty difficult too. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about, so we, we now have a grant program um, called the Longevity Fund. And even you know, some of the questions that like, tell me about your business. Yeah. It's not like people. They're skeptical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or like also it's hard to talk about yourself, right? Mm. Like I think mm. that in the upbringing, um, in immigrant households, uh, particularly in Asian, uh, Asian upbringings, it's, you know, the idea of like humility, right? And yeah. like it not, how do you kind of express what your views are about community? How do you express what your views are about your business? And be prideful too about your business and um, it, it's difficult. So sometimes too, kind of like pull, getting information. It's a lot about building, building trust um, to make sure that they feel comfortable in sharing things and that we are dependable to them as, as a resource. Yeah. Okay. I'm an ally, but you walk into a store and like this person is really trying to like, tell me like, is she going to sell me something? Is she going to give me a timeshare? <laughs> That's what I'm getting. Like, I don't know. Has it gotten easier since? Because at least now you have two years under your belt. So you have some history of doing good for the community. Is it now easier to approach, let's say, a equivalent small business and get them to come on board with what, what you're trying to do? It is easier because we have built up some trust through particularly word of mouth is important and not just with fellow business owners, but we've started to work a lot more with um elected officials, uh, city agencies that are saying like, oh, do you know Welcome Chinatown? They could be a resource. Right. So that, that's been crucial. And very early on too, with the meal deliveries, myself and our um, head of finance at the time, Hung Mai, we would pick up the meals from who we were purchasing, just say hi, ask how they're doing, yeah. and then like drop off those meals at the hospital. Yeah. Um, but for them to see our, our face, um, you know, well, see your face, your face with the, you know, the <laughs> mask. Your eyeballs um, and the yeah. nose. That made a huge difference because we were coming week after week for, for months and it led to conversations about what, what's your struggle now and um, telling us it's overhead costs. So then we could think about how are we going to shape our next initiative around that. So it was really important. So just a side note for what Victoria is talking about. She was supporting small businesses by purchasing meals from these restaurants and then donating them to other first respond workers. So it's like a dual benefit, both for the first responders and at the same time showing support for these communities during a time when these restaurants were getting really little to no business at all. So I just want to make that point clear. Um, Would you consider yourself like a shy person or like, well, how difficult was that for you? You know, meeting all these like people in the community. Mm. I don't think I'm I'm like, I think I'm introverted extrovert. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I prefer to be introverted, but I'm extroverted. If I have to be. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is why so. we're BFFs because I feel literally <laughs> the exact same way too. <laughs> yeah. I would yeah. rather just be at home, you know, reading a book or something. Yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> and I think it's all actually only gotten worse during the the pandemic. A lot of about like like social anxiety and whatnot. But mm. with the business owners, I really enjoy like the conversations and talking to them, just hearing more about their story, how um, learning to about their families and their workers and a lot of, not just for the, 
the owners, but many of them have staff that have been there for decades too. And one of the most rewarding things has been able to understand the community at a more intimate level because mm-hmm. I, I lived here for for a decade now, but I very much knew it at the surface level. And being able to get to know people on that first name basis, which is a lot harder than it, yeah. than it is in, in New York City. You don't really tell people your name in, in New York. That I think that's helped a lot with the whole introverted, extroverted, internal dialogue that I have. Do you feel a lot more comfortable now? You must, right? I mean, you've been literally no, oh at gosh. Madison Square Garden. <laughs> oh yeah, that's no. right. I, and then I dropped like I, I like yeah, you dropped a check. Dropped the dropped the check. <laughs> yeah, when they were presenting, they were presenting me with um, the check, and it was a huge honor. Yeah, and, that um, was really dope. But dropped it, and then I was like, oh, my hands are really. They wanted me to wave the whole time, and I have like very large hands for <laughs> <laughs> for my. For, it's just like it's when you're from a distance. When I'm waving, it's just like you just see. It's like all hands. So <laughs> yeah, those are like the, di- the the types of like anxiety they have in my head about perception. And I don't think it, it never, it never gets easier when it's having to do interviews or do public speaking. Right, right, right. I've always wondered this about giant ass checks. Is yeah. it just like a fake check? No one goes to the bank yeah. with these giant ass checks. So, I haven't seen someone No do one goes yet. to the <laughs> bank. But I mean, I'm kind of surprised no one has like done something with you know, like a, a QR code, scan it, deposit it instantly now or something. Oh, well, then I guess sure. other people yeah. You're right, can get access to the QR codes. I, I feel like there's a way to make these giant checks more usable, usable in, in the future than just like, a yeah. Are those checks heavy? Like, how do it feel? Is it like a surfboard you're pretty much um, holding on? Not heavy. It's, <laughs> a, it's like a, it's a foam, a foam course. It's, it's pretty light, but you know, I, I still managed to drop it. One final check question, and I know we sound very <laughs> obsessed with this check. Do, yes. you, do you still have the check? Is it a souvenir oh, yeah. that you kept, or you had to actually give it back? Um, they were supposed to mail it to us, but we uh, we didn't get it. No so way. It's, now it's just it's a distant it's a distant memory. Ah, oh, because that would have been so cool, just to like frame in your office or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Turn it into like a big coffee table. <laughs> okay, let's let, let's try to get back on track and get more serious again. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so sorry. Some of the programs that you do with Welcome to Chinatown, the Longevity Fund is one of the main branches. What is the Longevity Fund? Uh, the Longevity Fund, it's one of our, our cornerstone initiatives. Um, it's a grant program that we started. Um, what we were finding when talking with the business owners was they really needed funds um, for recovery. So when we were having, when we were doing the meal donations, they're like, this is great, but the profit margins are still thin. Yeah. Particularly for Chinatown businesses, which typically um, food and beverage establishments operate on um, like high volume, thin margins. Um, and even the, the services that are here too, like um, spas or um, hair salons also tend to operate at lower price points. So talking with them gave us the idea about what, how can we create a grant program that is accessible? Mm-hmm. Because PPP loans were very difficult to obtain. Um, I remember very when we true. first, when we, yeah, when we first launched the Longevity Fund Center for Responsible Lending, estimated is either sixty-five or seventy-five percent of Asian-owned restaurants wouldn't qualify oh, wow. for a PPP loan, which is it, it's really it's really high. And yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, and well, barriers I mentioned about right, language access. Um, digital access and making sure like, how do you find the application? How do you know where to apply? How do you know that this is even open? Oh, so it's less about the actual qualifications for the loan, but more about just how do I... The ease bring, of access kind right. of thing. 
it can be that or other factors for cash only businesses is they will struggle to get their paperwork in order. Oh, so they're at a timing disadvantage gotcha. too. And what we wanted to do was to create a grant program that was tackling um, these challenges. So we to date have issued over half a million dollars in grants. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Should. Thank you. Congrats. Yeah, I'm really proud of proud of the team for being Damn. able to do that. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot of like work that goes into it. Like we print the applications, um, translate it. We go to door to door once a month from when the applications are open to when they close. We will um, meet with the business owner, and if they have difficulties filling out the application, um, there's a volunteer that will assist them. Wow. So. It's um, it's it's been really rewarding to see the growth of this initiative, and moving forward, we're looking at developing it out into more uh, well-rounded accelerator and incubator program. You see, like that's what's up because sometimes when you have these government programs, you may have the program, but if the person doesn't know about the existence of the program or has a hard time just even like filling out the paperwork, finding out more information about it, then what is ultimately the point of it all? Right. The fact that you have your fund here and then you're personally taking the first step and going out to these people and asking, hey, we have X, Y, and Z. You're going to the business as opposed to waiting yeah. for the businesses to come to you and these funds. You're literally keeping a lot of these businesses afloat. Thank you. One of the things that I saw recently, and this episode may not come out in time, but part of the longevity grant is giving away a portion to a small business owner in Chinatown right now, or like a favorite business owner. Yeah. Um, so we at we are hosting our very first inaugural gala, and um, with the gala, we're having our first small business awards. We decided to have a fan favorite award. Um, people are. Always, some of our most engaged posts do have been sharing about this is my favorite small business, yeah. or here's a guy, this is where you should get XYZ, right? So, like, let's try and um, build something around this where people can we can crowdsource this. And um, we were fortunate we last uh, this past May um, worked with Jeffries, and um, Jeffries was able to allocate some funding that we were then in turn able to use for our small business awards. So we have a fan favorite award first round. I think we had 800 nominations That's crazy. so far. We've had over 600 people vote. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see like which, which is going to be the fan favorite business. That is so cool. You have the gala going on. Shout out to Jackie Mark. I saw her doing some artwork for the gala thing. And that's how I first <laughs> found about it. If I get her in trouble, I will cut this part out. So sorry, Jackie, about that. Jackie is awesome. She is. Um, the gala itself, you want to get into that a little bit or is that not yet public information? No, we can, yeah, we can get into the gala. We were hosting a very first inaugural gala. We've been around for two and a half years now. A lot of the work that we've been doing, it's for a volunteer base is virtual. And as well, when we need to go with businesses, um, we'll meet on like a one-on-one -on -one basis, a couple people that will go in and we've hosted some smaller events, yeah. but this is really the first time we're gathering all of our supporters, volunteers, community partners in one place and celebrating Welcome Chinatown and sharing what's the next phase, where are we going and how can you be a part of this? As well, we wanted to attach a more accessible public facing portion to it. So we've been working with 88 East Broadway, the management to activate the whole first floor vendor stalls. Um, oh, nice. So we'll have some really cool stalls there that people can pop in, drop over the weekend. And um, it's also the starting and ending point for a scavenger hunt so that you can <laughs> explore the rest of Chinatown, win some cool prizes. And it'll, it'll be a really fun weekend. So it's a whole weekend thing, not just a one night event thing? 
our gala is the Thursday, September 29th, and you'll get a preview of the mall. But then the Friday and Saturday, um, so September 30th, October 1st, that's open to the public. I will get all the information from Jackie or from you, and I'll put it on the box down below for anyone that is interested that is in the local area. I want to get into a big thing that just happened recently. You just completed the Chinatown Impact Study. Uh, Chinatown Impact Study is an evolution of, we did this last year, it was a, our state of the Chinatown small business survey, we were trying to assess how businesses were doing, and what were the challenges they were anticipating so that we could develop solutions, as well as raise awareness for what's been happening in the community, because the effects of COVID on Chinatown really compound all of the like, policies or lack of investment into this neighborhood and mm-hmm. the gentrification that's happening. So right. what we want to do is, is, is really use this too as an awareness opportunity and, and put some data to it. So our study that we just released in July is an evolution of that. And we've been working with an urban consulting firm to develop this study. We surveyed over 150 small businesses to make sure that we could get their feedback and have, we had in-depth focus groups in Mm -hmm. both English and Chinese. And the study now is a great tool for us because it also is a roadmap to show where do we need to be headed as we're looking at our one, three, five-year outlook. Yeah. Is there any parts of the study that when it came back was a bit surprising to you? Um, the demographics of who, what we think about visitation to Chinatown. Right. Mm. That there's a lot of emphasis on tourism and, and tourism is is really important. But tourism makes up less than 25% of the visitation in 2019 to Chinatown. Huh. And by visitation, I, I mean foot traffic. The majority of this is coming from Chinatown residents. They are um, lower Manhattan office workers. And then other New York City, New York City residents, lower Manhattan, the lower Manhattan office workers is really key too, because return to office is looking different. Um, yeah. People still have not returned five days a week. And we talk with the owners, they've said how Mondays and Monday to Thursday be really slow. So that, that was surprising to us and how big the impact is and how not talked about because it, it's going to change what their revenue and revenue yeah. planning looks like. Um, I kind of like talked about this prior to COVID. It felt like in some ways, different Chinatowns were kind of like not dying down per se, but at least declining in importance. Did you find that some of these businesses were already on the decline or do you think that was mainly a COVID knockout hit? Speaking for Manhattan Chinatown, I don't, it's not just a COVID hit. The commercial, commercial real estate and also rentals too, of how housing rental prices are, are increasing. And uh, our study also mentions the API population from census data. So from 2010 to 2020, um, there's a, a 22% decrease in the a- API population living in Chinatown. Huh. 95% of that of that 22% is Chinese. So Asians are also not choosing to live in Chinatown anymore. Whether it, it could be um, we we didn't we didn't we weren't able to study like the specific factors, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think that cost is is one. Um, We look at how expensive uh, rentals are, and it's contributing to why it feels like Chinatowns are are shrinking. With the very occurring stuff with like Asian hate, do you think that has like a factor to it as well? Uh, It's made, and this is um, interesting because it it actually came from a, a business owner in one of our focus groups who's also a resident. And not only loss of money to Chinatown is, hasn't returned to its hours before COVID. 
I used to be able to step out at one, two in yeah. the morning and I, right. I can get a meal and it's, it's hard now past 10 PM to find a place that's open. Safety is a huge concern course, for yeah. the business owners because they don't want their staff to have any issues or the fear of um, taking public transportation late at night. Yep. That leads to more places that are closed, which then leads to darker streets, which then leads to residents staying in. It's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. And um, that was what one of the owners who also lives here said. It's the quality of life is, is also different now because of, of these these other effects from anti-Asian hate. There's also a generational thing, I think, too, because older generations wanting to live in China. At its core, Chinatown has always been a place to build community and to preserve your heritage. And it, it serves its purpose for a lot of first-generation people, both to be close to people that they feel comfortable with and because yeah. there's often a language barrier with living in other parts of the city. But given that younger generations now maybe no longer have that need to live so close to a place where they can speak the language, right. that that kind of pushes people out as well. It's a compounding effect of a lot of different things coming in and just making it much more difficult for this. Were there any positive takeaways from the study that you can point to going forward then? Um, positive takeaways are around what what the opportunity is. There is this really, really great project called Brooklyn Bridge Manhattan, which we're a, port, a part of. They're also a nonprofit. Since 9-11, the Park Row area has been has been closed um, from NYPD counterterrorism has shut down all of the traffic from Park Row and Park Row is really it's a it's a vital area because it easily connects Chinatown to Seaport to yeah. financial district um, on top of it's where the entrance like it's the entranceway yeah, to yeah, the yeah, bridge yeah, yeah. yeah but if you walk it it's a terrible experience walking <laughs> up this that this little dark staircase that often smells like urine it's dimly lit and then when you get down the stairs from the brooklyn bridge you're confused about are you even allowed to be here with all the nypd barricades yeah exactly um but it's not a good experience we are working with brooklyn bridge manhattan because we see so much of the economic potential and mm -hmm. more importantly the increase in quality of life for lower manhattan areas if we could if this park gets built um if this park gets built it's a it's a nine acre park Oh, wow. They, um, That's big for Manhattan. That's gigantic for yeah. Manhattan. That's like a farm. COVID has shown how important green space is. Yes. And lower Manhattan lacks green space, especially on, on the east side. So that project, um, I'm, I'm really excited for. And um, I think that this could be a very transformational project. So that was one of the positives. It's a great idea because... Brooklyn Bridge gets so much damn traffic. So if you can somehow translate a percentage of that tourist traffic, that foot traffic that's crossing the bridge into Manhattan and get them into Chinatown, which is literally right yeah, there. That is true. All these projects that you're throwing out with the gala and don't you ever feel like, do you have a like, person or resource that you have to like depend on when you're doing this or you just kind of like... I forgot to ask, is this your full-time gig? Yeah. Or are uh, you just doing this at nighttime? Um, I still, so I also still work at Estee Lauder Companies. I'm the director Ooh. of uh, global travel there. Oh, But okay. we have two full-time employees now. Our COO and our, our head of creative are full-time. Um, so I, I, I've been doing this on top of, on top of my job. Oh, that's even more props to you then. Yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, do you have time for yourself to like just relax sometimes? Trying to. I think that's really important. It's like, you can't just always be like on this grind because mm -hmm. then I think you're living in a bubble. You're not exposing yourself to different ideas, different opinions, new ways of thinking. So 
as much as that that time you you need that time that separation to have other personal growth. A hundred percent agree. Has there any been any like high points of this whole past couple of years, or some low points that come to mind right away? High points are are um, dropping that giant check. Like <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that was <laughs> was that a low point or a high point? That was. I think that was a high point. I feel like that's also just very representative of my personality. So it's accurate. Um, High point is, yeah, getting to know the community in in this new level and like taking home to um, just a a different idea that I I, I couldn't have imagined. Um, Other high points are our volunteer base. Our volunteer base is so talented and like that network of um, API creatives, entrepreneurs, um, w- those working in corporate, and even right connecting with the both of you, like how that has kind of transcended. And low points, I would say, is like the pressure that you feel mm. um, to kind of keep doing, keep doing good. And the struggle too as a nonprofit is like trying to balance ideas, aid, and then also thinking about long-term sustainability of an organization too and as as we hire making sure that they are paid equitably that they have that they are recognized for for the work that they're doing so that type of pressure is um it can it can be a lot it can be consuming sometimes what do you see yourself with welcome to chinatown in the future if you can say like do you have in mind like the end goal yes our vision is to ensure that chinatown's open for for generations we're, what we're trying to settle on is how do you balance the history and the legacy of the community with how can we also bring in innovation and um, digitalization in a way that it it's not clashing too much. So as we're like developing our roadmap, a goal for us is developing a small business innovation hub, and uh, we're it's going to be 2,500 square feet of space in in Chinatown that business owners can gather. We're able to bring in corporate companies that have supported us, plug in programming there, yeah. and it's the business owners can go to it. And it also allows us to think about fostering the next generation of new entrepreneurs, uh, um, making sure that they have resources to get started because API entrepreneurs are, they are the most likely to use their own personal funds or yes. ask family and friends versus trying to get investments from outside areas. And we, we really want to change that and decide, you know, how, how could we uh, make sure that business owners are aware these resources are here for them? So I guess the long-term goal is just to be there for the neighborhood, to be an established part of the neighborhood where they can come to for information and everything like that. Yeah, thanks for putting putting a more like succinct point, yeah. Um, Have you ever seen like, at least here in Flushing, Chinatown, we have seen a lot more money being pumped into the Chinatown here. Some of that is due to a lot of overseas money coming in and kind of like changing that small mom and pop shop mentality that we used to have here, which it's still existing in certain pockets of it, but... Do you see that becoming a problem going forward as you're trying to modernize Chinatown? It's a hard, it's a hard balance. I don't think that we can ignore the the presence of that, and particularly around like like mass, right? When you think about a Target opening or or, or Trader Joe's, <laughs> the yeah. worst thing that can be done is not recognizing that that is going to happen. It's more around okay, how could we connect and and help hopefully mitigate what the negative effects of that are and find areas to to complement that. So it's still something we're also grappling with. Like and if 
I were to like drill this down myself, I'm a gentrifier. Like I, yeah. right, I just because I'm Chinese doesn't mean that I'm also not changing the landscape of the yeah. neighborhood and having this like more millennial coffee shop that's going to mm. open and like cater to me. So it's taking and, and recognizing that and then thinking and then trying to hopefully craft solutions that can meet the majority of the people and their needs. Trying to balance the old and preserve the old and like try not to piss off everyone at the same time. Yeah. Um, do you ever had a moment where you're just like, fuck this, I just can't do it. Or it's like, this is way too over the top of my head kind of thing. Yeah, I feel that. Um, yeah. Particularly as the organization gets bigger and there's just so much imposter syndrome that, or you're, everyone's expecting you to like know the answer. And right. I think that the way too, in which we've got with like social media, like everyone is supposed to have an opinion on everything. And like, that's mm. just not possible. Like yeah. I, There's going to be questions that I can't answer. I can't answer articulately or I'm much better written than, and then saying something that if you fumble on this word, it's like, it's so much of that pressure and trying to, um, trying to make sure that I can harness and, and lead in a way that is uplifting others. Yeah. There, there's like, I'm like, Oh, I don't know that I can do it. So uh, there, there's a lot of doubt. I feel so much stress when I hear you talk about that stuff, but the past two years, whenever I've looked at any initiative in Chinatown or anyone trying to do anything positive in that neighborhood, I have seen Welcome to Chinatown. So give Thanks. yourself more credit. Take a second. Take a breath. Yeah, this is pretty monumental what you're doing. You're trying to just put this on your back and be like, I got this. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to protect this. That's and it's good that you have your focus very narrowed down to Chinatown to that specific area. Because I think a lot of these organizations that we've seen pop up over the past couple of years in terms of doing stuff for the API community has been maybe too broad, maybe too general. Mm -hmm. And that oftentimes doesn't really translate. And being effective. What I'm trying to say is breathe and pat yourself on the back. Yeah. Thanks. Good fucking job. Seriously. You have a lot on your plate, but you're you're like handling with grace. <laughs> Thank you. I had a question for this, but this might put you on the spot. What are some of your favorite restaurants in Chinatown? Ooh. Um, and just remember, for the people that are listening, just because she doesn't name your particular restaurant, does not mean she does not like your restaurant. <laughs> um, I love Great New York Noodle Town, and they yes. just reopened, so I'm like very excited to to go. Potluck Club is amazing. I've eaten there like four or five times already. Um, oh, that's the one that just opened up recently. Mm -hmm. It's opened by the same founders as Milk and Cream. Oh, so you did a shout out to Wohop. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. My favorite place is still Big Wong. It's part nostalgic for me because me and my wife back in college, we used to take the train over from uh, Baruch. It was so good because the damn food came so fast. I swear to God, <laughs> I would tell the waiter what I want. And literally five seconds later, it would just come out of yeah. the kitchen. It was like no time wasted. Salt and pepper pork chop. That was like my two go thing, right? Oh, yeah. I swear to God, 10 seconds out the kitchen. So shout out to Big Wong. I also, I didn't realize you went to Baruch. I also went to Baruch. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's why we are BFFs. Because mm -hmm. we coincidentally <laughs> went to the same college as well. <laughs> We have a segment on every single podcast. It's called Ranting and Raving. It's completely unconnected to the topic. We take a second just to uh, bitch and moan or maybe even compliment something that's happening in our lives. It's a nice, lighthearted way for us to end every single episode. Ben, you want to take this away? Yeah. Um, sometimes when I'm out, it gets really weird. At, at the end of dinner when you're out and the check comes and then it's like, all right, we got to figure out how to pay. 
like on a date or just no, with just friends? Like, just with friends. Date, okay. Date's easy. It's just, you know, but for like a dinner with a group of friends, you can always tell like they're not really friends or it's like an awkward like work meeting when everyone's like taking out their cards, like, oh, can you split this and charge this like this amount and then oh. do this and that? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I have to do not it. like in terms of one person paying for the check, no. but like, do we just split this evenly, or do you pay for your particular entree slash drink? Right, like that. Yeah, like there's seven credit cards, and <laughs> I, I just I always joke. I'm like, I'm just gonna pick one random card. Right? You should do that. Yeah, I'm like, I'll pick one random one. Godspeed. I'll be right back. Have you had that happen to you recently? Is that what you're <sighs> bitching about? It. Yeah, it's just just Venmo one person and just do one card. Do people do people want their points? I don't like understand. Yo, I guess. Yeah. The point thing. That's I swear the only to God, thing I could think of. There's always one particular person who says, "Oh, can I get the points here?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear, someone always wants the points. But yes, the point thing too. You don't need that awkward moment. Yeah, it's like you just want to sit by yourself next time and you know <laughs> have your own thing. Nah, all right, fine. I've got something. I have a home alarm system in my house. So recently, I was taking a walk or somewhere and I had my earbuds in my ears up, obviously. And I mm. walked into my house and I forgot to turn off the alarm as I walked into the house. Open the door, it starts beeping. But because yeah. I had my earphones on and I was listening to something, I forgot. No. I walk into the house, I, I do whatever. Probably like two minutes later, I hear like a light beeping in my earbuds. Yeah. And my alarm is on in like full blast. And yeah. like literally as I'm running to turn off the alarm, I get a call from my alarm company just to make sure I'm like alive or it's, yeah. it's me in the house or something. Somehow this has never happened to me in all the years that I've lived here. Uh-huh. Thank God my alarm company does a two-step approach. They'll call you, and if you don't pick up, then they call the cops. How, how good are your earbuds? I mean, they're in your ear. They see you in your ear. Damn. Well, at least you know your alarm system works, actually, then. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I didn't have that two-step thing, the cops would literally just the come out to my door. Around. They're like, sir, get on the floor right now. What about you, Victoria? You got anything to rant or to mm. rave about? Um, my rant is all my, my friends know this, that, uh, I've been a part of like their bridal parties. It's just like how <laughs> over the top weddings have gotten because people yeah. want their like social media moments. It's like, uh, Oh my gosh, can we stop this? Like everything feels like it's staged, like stage this, putting on your makeup here, stage this, like, yeah. why, why can't the photographer just be taking like a candid shot? Like why yes. do we need to walk down do this this and this and i feel like it it takes away from the moment too and actually yeah. just trying to like enjoy it with- did you just come back from a wedding because it sounds like very recent uh, i have been having like a slew of weddings too <laughs> that's <so>. why <laughs> um that's that's been annoying me and not, not like you know judgment on my friends or anything but it's just more brown too like who having to work with like all these vendors and, mm-hmm. and these vendors are probably being held accountable to other people that have said like i want this like i want yeah. this tiktok dance that i saw i want yeah. like oh my god uh, i'm just uh, i'm over it that's a good one don't be a bridezilla or a groomzilla you know like <laughs> just try to enjoy your wedding as a person who spent a shitload of money on my wedding i yeah. tried my best to just enjoy the moment and not just get caught up and get in certain shots you enjoyed it with a lot of uh johnny walker <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was great it was a lot of fun i get all that but why are you going to get, get frustrated if you don't get a particular picture? Right. I bet you if you let the photographers and the videographers do their thing, they're bound to catch, like you said, a candid shot that's going to be so much nicer than something that you wanted staged. Victoria, it's been great having you on the podcast. Once again, please calm down, relax, pat yourself on the <laughs> back, have a drink. 
don't go to a wedding, but just like have a drink. Yeah, no weddings for a bit. No more weddings. Because <laughs> you are genuinely doing so much good work for everyone down in Chinatown. And you know, even though you're not impacting the entire city or the entire country, I think other people around the country are seeing the example that yeah. you and you guys are doing. And they're kind of taking that and hopefully starting their own thing somewhere where they are as well. So you're doing both good for our local area and for the country as a whole, I think. Thank you. Thank you for doing God's work. Seriously. We will send you our <laughs> giant check. A blank check. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, shit, you're right. No, 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 not blank. No. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to take it to the bank. We'll see. She's oh. like, oh, there's some decimals missing. Hold on, I just got to move it with the zeros. Yeah. Most important part of all of this, for those that do want to get involved, mm. either to volunteer or right. to donate or to do something in some part, where can they stay connected? Yeah, um, best go to welcometochinatown.com and there is a contact us form there. So mm -hmm. complete the contact form with whether it's you want to volunteer uh, you want us to work with your company and their employee resource group, or even if you just have an idea and you, you just want to toss it out there, um, contact us on our website. Perfect. I'll have all the information down in the box below. Do you want to give a date of the gala in case people want to stop by? Yes. The gala is on September 29th. Uh, you can go to welcometochinatown.com slash gala to learn more. And the public facing event will be um, Friday, October, uh, sorry, Friday, September 30th and Saturday, October 1st. And that will just be at 88 East Broadway mm -hmm. um, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Friday and Saturday. So just come in anytime. No RSVPs. It's open to the public. Will you be there those two days as well? Yes. Yeah, I'll be there. Okay. So if we find you and you see two people holding a giant check, yes. that's, that's probably us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Great. I'll, I'm going to be on the lookout. <laughs> For that giant blank check. I'm going I'm, to, yeah, I'm expecting that giant check. <laughs> The Staples sell like poster board that large? Uh, uh, we are so screwed. Yeah, we'll find one. We just boxed ourselves in. <laughs> uh, I make no guarantees as to the authenticity or depositability of this check. But yes. if you do see it, that will be us. Great. It'll be in our office. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, guys, if you want to stay up to date with what Ben and I are doing on a daily basis, go to mm -hmm. www.worstasianpod.com or you can follow us on every single social media at worstasianpod.com. Once again, I will have links to everything down below. Please, guys, if you are interested, come out to the event. You can see Victoria. You can see this fake drawing check that we have. Yes. In the meantime, we'll catch you guys next week. Our giveaway. <laughs> Bye. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>